Smartcast. It actually reminds me that in 1979, China instituted what, Ben Barton? Uh, one child rule. The one child rule back in 1979. By the um, way, that's not okay. Your sister's on the line. She's physically listening. <laughs> right here. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Recording. How are you? Hello, hello, sir. How are you, man? Welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys on the Drive-In Podcast Network. Did you see the debut last week of the Drive-In Podcast Network? I actually did. I was able to tune in to the Facebook Live uh, yeah. you know, thing, and it was that they're really funny, really nice guys. It seems like we've really stumbled... Neat. Ass yeah. backwards into a good thing, which is not a bad <laughs> description of our general MO. That's yeah, no, for sure. So it's great. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be uh, on board with these guys. And uh, I can't we'll wait to kind of get to know everybody else's podcasts in the network. And, uh, and, they're, and most importantly, they're selling T-shirts, which is t-shirts. Like, that's it. You know you've got it made when you've got a T-shirt. I that's got exactly T-shirts. Sure. I got stickers. <laughs> uh, I am really excited. My wife doesn't understand uh, the branding that is about to start happening in our house and on oh, it's like your poor kids. <laughs> Everybody's got, everybody gets a sleep shirt. That's uh, that's the Christmas <laughs> card this year. Um, but seriously, when they launched the drive-in podcast network, our listens uh, quadrupled. So we got uh, this big boost by being a part of them and hopefully we'll bring something to the table as well. Well, I mean, good looks for sure, especially for a podcast. We're one of the better looking podcasts to listen to. Right. Good. Before we get too I far, so. I, um, I would like to um, roll it back and apologize a little bit. Um, um, right. I got a little, uh, I got a little heated uh, when it came to Boston last week. I obviously have some issues I need to work through. Um, and uh, I don't, I stand by what I said, but I, I, uh, I think I could have been a little nicer about it. So I wanted to apologize to the greater Boston community. And just to clarify, I want to disadopt that, that apology. <laughs> I'm doubling down on what Jeff said, and I would have been ruder. Okay. Well, so all, all 11 extended families in the Boston area, I apologize. Yeah. Um, casting aspersions. So, Ben, you're from New York, so, so we knew it was never, never going to be anything between us. Uh, <laughs> that's cordial. Uh, and, Jeff, as for your apology... One thing you should know about Boston people is we are really good at uh, forgiveness. Yes, I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> you learned that from Dane Cook, right? Your yeah. great export. Yeah, that's right. We we let things go. Uh, I'm gonna really quit easily. while I'm ahead. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just winding yeah. myself up again. Not, stupid. Not one. Uh, not not a people to quibble uh, <laughs> at all. Big fans of Roger Goodell. All right, 1979. It's the Grammy winner. What a Fool Believes by the Doobie Brothers. He came from somewhere back in Hong 
She musters a smile for his nostalgic tale. Never coming near what he wanted to say, only to realize it never really was. She had a place in his life. I think this might be the first song we can't actually get to the chorus the chorus is still another like 45 seconds away is it really but, yeah uh, but it's, a, it's a good one that's my favorite by far oh of the so different than yeah. barry manilow i write the songs so different from um what was the other one you oh, light up my life sending the clowns send oh, the yellow ribbon i mean it's just been one <laughs> ass whipping after another it really has. Uh, i'm a law professor <laughs> And so we grade on a curve. Okay. <laughs> so that just means that if you're the best in the class, you get the A. This is our A for sure. I do not like this song. I don't okay. own this song. I would never choose to listen to this song. And it's <laughs> easily the best Grammy winner we've had. Still. Thrilled, thrilled with it. <laughs> I'll, ride, I'll ride harder for this song. I, 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 um, it's, by the way, I couldn't agree more. Best, best Grammy winning song of the decade. And I mean, it's a, it's a distant run backwards to second place but i this song really reminds me of being a kid in 1979 i mean this this is the year where i i think i really knew what was going on for the first time in popular music at the moment when music was popular like okay. when i went over 79 like every song i was like oh i remember being nine okay that, right not 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 every single song but like this the stuff that was top 40 for sure like i I remember What a Fool Believes in the back of the Volkswagen Rabbit. I remember it on my clock radio. I mean, and I remember um, just loving the sound of music all well, around me that year. And, and the sound of Michael McDonald's voice. Right, which just is just so, a national treasure. Just now so you just hurt my feelings. You're just trolling me. Here's the thing. Is that the weirdest lead vocal that's popular you've ever heard. I mean, that's as weird it's, as like Der Commissar by Falco or, I mean, it's <laughs> it's so strange. That guy's voice, he's the-, he's the Back in the long right? ago. I mean, and, and, and the, the words are like, you know, they, they the, the lyrics break over the line and go to the, I mean, they really don't make a whole lot of sense. It's a bizarre. He's the guy who sings all the pegs in the background of Steely Dan's peg. You know, all those pegs. <laughs> and you could go on YouTube and watch him recording like the 17 oh, different they, pegs they, they have the do. video oh it's like the making of asia and it's michael mcdonald <laughs> in the studio and he's like all red-faced and exhausted and they have you know they made him do it like 400 times it's actually like must-see entertainment it's all right really we should make a little link to that or something uh all right other things happening in, in 1979 two big um albums come out Pink Floyd's The Wall and Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. Stranded on a deserted island, you can only have one wall record. Which one do you pick? They say easy, off the wall. Off the wall. Half of the wall is bad. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought that was going to be, I was going to be the hot take, but. No, for sure. Most and also, it's the parts of record of all time. Easy oh, out. no way. It's not even the most overrated Pink Floyd record. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, and half of the songs or the third of the album that's good are really grim and depressing. 
You do okay. not want to be sitting listening to you know on mother on your yeah. on your desert island. I promise. Okay. So off the wall, like it's it's not a hundred percent bangers, but dude, it's got some bangers. Yeah, yeah, really does. Um, okay, that's say, a tough call. I think I want option three though, to be honest. Like those are both tough records to be. Um, yeah, desert islanded with for me. Uh, is there another wall record out there? No, I can't. I was trying to think of one. Okay. But uh, there's when the walls came down by the call, but I don't think that one song, I think you'd probably throw yourself in the ocean. Well, I can't, I can't wait to, to pick the call in the 80s. Um, all right. You also have uh, the launch of ESPN in 1979. Nice. I believe, I believe that was uh, the year where they would televise, you know, truck Holes oh, a lot like of fishing hole. The, the fishing hole was the show that really bummed me out when I was trying to watch low grade sports, and there would just be some guy very slowly catching trout in South Carolina. <laughs> like that hurt. It was uh, the lean years for ESPN. Um, Idi Amin is deposed from what country? Uganda, right? Yes, Uganda, responsible for three hundred thousand deaths. How did his trial in front of the United Nations go? That was a joke. Of course, he <laughs> never tried. <laughs> Saudi Arabia protected him in, um, in opulence for the did rest you see, of his life. Did either of you see The Last King of Scotland? I never did. How was that? I thought it was really good. Forrest Whitaker plays Edie and, yeah. and he's very good. But uh, it's the same guy who made the Bob Marley documentary, which I also thought was just excellent that we talked about a few yep. podcasts ago. Same director. All right. Um, Sid Vicious. What the heck happened here? So he he dies of, of an overdose. Yeah. Of an overdose while on trial for the murder of his girlfriend? Correct. What? So yeah, it's a musical comedy. Stop. Um, <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so Sid Vicious was not an original member of the Sex Pistols. The original bass player in the Sex Pistols was an actual musician by the name of Glenn Matlock, who actually kind of taught everybody in the band how to play. Like the Sex Pistols were constructed around Johnny Rotten, who was just a kid hanging around a clothing store in London that a guy named Malcolm McLaren thought had star quality. Wait, so McLaren this is this is a, a boy band? Yeah, yeah, the Sex Pistols are basically a boy band. Um, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And so McLaren puts it all together, Glenn Matlock teaches him how to play, they record the record, and then Glenn Matlock admits to liking the Beatles in an interview and is fired from the group. <laughs> but he's basically fired from the group for being a real regular human person. person. Right, um, right. So they bring on Sid Vicious because he looks great. He can't play, he could never play. He just beat on the bass like it was a broomstick um and then the fame and, and notoriety uh went to a very neural you know went to a, a guy who was really um erratic to begin with and uh, it just kind of spiraled apart in about 12 months for him huh all right um but it, what I, I remember there was a movie sid and nancy in the 80s that kind of glorified the whole thing yeah. Yeah. um but yeah, oh, he's dude, a really crazy. When you look at it backwards now, you're like, it's crazy. But that guy was a hero to people. They loved yeah. him. You know what I mean? It's like he murdered his girlfriend. Yeah, just awful. I hear bad things about that. I'm out on that. Yeah, that's yeah. A, I draw the line. Is that my second question about somebody? How many, how many, uh, how many partners has this person murdered before I decide whether I want to right. check it out? And, yeah. and if it's 
One or more. Yeah, oh. Exactly. Yes, A, zero, B, not zero. That's an easy one. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we need to get to uh, what the people were feeling and what the people were thinking. It's not just about the Grammy. What was the number one hit of 1979? It's a banger. Ben, you're going to be so proud of 1979's uh, record-buying community. Are we, are we turning the corner? Oh, we have... Yes. We're not just turning the corner. We're, uh, we're turning the corner at 90 miles an hour on two wheels. Check this out. It's the number one hit. My Sharona by The Knack. That's great. Um, who knack. else on this Zoom call learned a very hard lesson in 1979? <laughs> About how bad that record is? Yeah, I man. Yeah. Dude, I asked for that record for my birthday. I heard that song and I was like, surely the yeah. record will be packed with this other songs stuff. at yeah. least as good. And it's just a brutal, grim slog through that record. <laughs> and I mean, I still remember being a little kid and I was like, okay, my Sharona, you play that one. You're like, okay, that's great. And then the next one, you're like, huh, okay, well. <laughs> Let's I, go back. I, you know, whatever, <laughs> like maybe the next one. And then you go to the next one and then you have to turn the LP over to the other side. Oh. And then you're like, oh no. That's rough. You know what that else is... I remember about the Knack is there, there, there were always two versions of the songs. There were these the songs that were like okay for radio, and then there were the the actual lyrics, which are filthy. They were the oh. well, yeah, they they're ahead of their time in the sense that the album cuts are salacious and dirty and kind of gross, and then they cleaned them up for uh, the radio. But I also remember that like the first time I heard uh, "Good Girls Don't." on the album i was like Ugh. i mean it was it was huh. it was they were describing things i did not yet know people did to one another when i was oh, nine dear, years old i have no memory of that because probably when i was nine i was like huh well just yeah. didn't like that one much <laughs> <laughs> i don't like this song i will turn it very weird very weird um, a classic was, one and done too like the all-time one record and out maybe yeah and also like a lot of these uh one hit wonders this one in particular, though, you're like, how is it possible they didn't write five other songs that sounded like that? It's not a complicated right. recipe. You know what no, I mean? Right. Exactly. Do it again. Do it again. Well, um, let's, uh, let's go to probably one of the most played songs of 1979. If, we, if we're looking back over the last 40 years, um, everybody got your coconut milk and rum at the ready. Uh, oh, here we go. Gonna, really? You're going to take up. us through the third stanza, Jeff Simons. Yeah, well, well the payoff, if, if you the will. The payoff, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And she walked in the place. I knew a smile in an instant. I knew the curve of her face. It was my own lovely lady. And she said, Oh, it's you. Then we laughed for a moment And I said, I never knew That you like pina coladas And getting caught in the rain 
Oof. Wow. Wow. That is uh that His faces is... have curves. I always <laughs> I, this time I'm really struck by the the stupidity of the curve of her face. So forget about the lack of of moral principle in the couple. It's the curve <laughs> of her face that you Well, find. I mean, in addition to the moral bankruptcy, it's it's really <laughs> awkward lyrics. I knew her smile in an instant, the curve of her face. Yeah, yeah you know your partner very well, clearly. Um You've been studying. Shouldn't it be the lines of her face? That would work. Or some other, like, you know, (laughs) the flare of her nostrils. I just don't think faces have curves. How about her eyes? How about just her eyes? That's a good thing to recognize. (laughs) Everything everything uh, about that track. So it is the the invitation to cynicism for young Ben Barton. Uh, Ben, clearly the couple at the end of the song has reconciled. They're back together. It seems like perhaps a spark uh, ha- has gone off. Will it light a fire? How long do you give this couple? Oh, dude, they don't make it out of the bar. Come on now. <laughs> this is a disaster. They re-meet trying to cheat on each other. <laughs> Ridiculous. And they have terrible taste. Pina coladas suck. So more than one, they, or they, they, leave, they break up outside of the bar puking because they had too many pina coladas. Right. So and just to clarify... And- if you're going to have sex on the beach, you don't do it in the dunes. Like, that's not a good look <laughs> at all. And uh, you need a the blanket. Sand, like sex yeah, on the beach is really something. not. It's overrated. It's really bad. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, God, that's uh, perfect. All right. So <laughs> they're already, they're already <laughs> sizing up other people when they're at the bar. Um, that, that's, no, that's our worst song uh, for 1979. There's a song that'll come out in 1980 called Into the Night. And this is y'all's homework for next week's podcast. For anyone listening, this is your homework as well. It is the most uh, creepy song ever recorded. The protagonist in the song. What is the song called? In love, apparently, with a sophomore in high school. It's called Into the Night by Benny Mardones. Uh, the opening line is, <laughs> she's just 16 years old. Leave her alone, they say. Oh, that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> they. I have the other man. ideas. So what you need to do, though, you have to, you have to listen to it with the video, and you have to stick it out. Uh, so you could so you could figure out really what is the most horrific moment. How of do you the music find studio. these songs? You know, dude. Well, look at this guy. No, good no. lord, he looks like Eddie Money's drunk cousin. He and Eddie Money coming out of a bar. He it's and Eddie Money were very close. Nice. No, they were not. You. Um, they had the same hairdresser for sure. So Benny Mardones, as it turns out, just died two weeks ago. So moment of silence. For Benny Mardones. Jeff Simons, I've got an impossible question for you. Let's hear it. In 1979, Margaret Thatcher <laughs> was elected uh, to lead the United Kingdom. The first. By the way, am I right? This is our second Margaret Thatcher reference on a podcast yes. that's about music? Because when she was. She was a big fan. When she was the education secretary, she threatened to take away everyone's uh, milk. I think she actually did. I think they cut milk. Um, so she was 
Margaret Thatcher, the dairy snatcher. Jeff Simons. Anyways, England elects its first woman. Yay. Nice job, England. How long until the United States elects its first female president? And will that woman be uh, progressive or be conservative? What's your guess? Uh, uh, So I think the next, I think whoever Biden picks as VP will be the next president. And I think it could be as early as 2024. I think Biden might be a one-termer. But I think, uh, I think the reason it's taking forever is people pr- pretty much know that uh, there's a good possibility that whoever Biden picks is in position to become the first female president. That's, so that's my, uh, that's my guess. So Biden is taking so long in order to really vet his pick? I was thinking he was waiting so long because he's like, well, let's just wait for Trump to not mess up for a couple of days. And right. then we'll grab the news cycle. So he's going to announce he's going to announce her after the election. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they got to get some buttons printed, right? Got to get a couple bumper stickers with someone's name on it. But, well, you know, no, that's I what just, I really think. I think yeah. there's a really good possibility that that's the next, that's the first female president. So yeah. it'll be a moderate, it'll be a moderate Democrat that everyone who doesn't agree with her calls a leftist radical cabal fringe member. Okay. But we'll actually be somewhere in the middle. All right, let's go to our three songs. Our three songs. All right, all right. I'm up first this week. Um, so let me say a couple things. The first thing I'll say is we're choosing each a song for every year of our lives. And there are several different Correct. ways to do this task. So one way you could do it is to choose the song that you actually liked the most in that year when now, you were a kid. Now that we so, remember. So, for example, yeah. in 1977, I chose Vienna by Billy Joel, and that was the only record I owned in 1977. If it wasn't that, it was the, you know, moving out. It was one of the songs on that record. It was my favorite song for that year. Uh, and that is not the best song from 1977, which is no? another way you is could it, do it. Is, you it could, is it not? You could choose the actual song that like most embodies the year as sort of a, like a platonic ideal for it. Or the third way you could do it is you choose the favorite song right now. So that's what I did in 78. And I am sad to report that my uh-huh. actual favorite song right now from 1978 is that stupid Leonard Skinner song, <laughs> which is also unquestionably not the best song from 78. and I sounds see. like a song from 74 and is a silly one to choose. I bring like glad tidings this week, my friends. Okay. I'm going to unite the clans. I am choosing the song <laughs> that I personally liked best. Okay. In 1979. I'm choosing the song that I still like the best in 1979. Excellent. And is also the best song from 1979. Wow. Jeff, if you will hit us with Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight. Yes. Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang. Now what you hear is not a test, I'm rapping to the beat. Me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. See, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to sing hello. Or to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, the cripple, and yellow. But first, I gotta bang, bang, the boogie to the boogie, say up, jump, the boogie to the bang, bang, boogie, let's rock. You don't stop, rock the rhythm, that'll make your body rock. Well, so far, you've heard my voice, but I brought two uh. friends along. Right, so I'll start with the uh, personal. Wow. So in 1979, I grew up in Brooklyn. 
And I have a really, really vivid memory of dudes hauling around huge boom boxes and this song just playing on a loop. <laughs> yeah. And here's how I know it was playing on a loop. This is literally the only hip hop song available to play. Like they just played it and then flipped the yep. cassette over and played the other side. <laughs> Same 14 minute version of this song. And the first time I heard it, and every time I heard it, I was like, what in the hell is I've never heard that. That's amazing. Like I was immediately drawn to it. Just did, did mesmerized you buy, by it. Did you buy that record with your own Dude, money? I went down to Soundtrack, the record store on Seventh <laughs> Avenue in Brooklyn. Great name. And I broke open my piggy bank and I had whatever the four dollars and thirty-five cents it was. And I was like, hip hop, hippity hop. <laughs> and I was like, Do you have it? And he was like, Oh, we got it. And he just handed me the 12 inch because it was a 12 inch single brought it home and just wore it out. Yes. Loved that. Oh. Okay. Second, sort of culturally. Now there's an argument and we've had this argument. What's the first punk record? We right. have not had this argument because it's before 69, but what's the first rock record? What's the first jazz record? There is no argument about what the first rap record is. This is it. And it's it by a country mile. It doesn't squeak in the door. They created this record genre. Now they didn't create the genre, like hip hop and rap had existed in the Bronx and uh -huh. in Manhattan since the mid seventies. But this is the first time they get it on wax. They're the first out of the gate and it sets the pace. Like it's got, it's got the word hip hop in it. Yep. They use the verb rapping in it. Yep. They create the whole genre just from whole cloth right here. All right, so then I'll tell the story. The story is just like bonkers how this all happens. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a woman named Sylvia Robinson. Right? Okay. Now, Sylvia Robinson, in her long and varied career, personally had two top 40 hits. The first one is from 1957, Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia. Now, nice. hold on, guys. This song is a featured song in a super popular movie from our youth, and it's the A song on the soundtrack. Can you name it? It's called Love. Stand by me. Nope. Ah. Ah. Wait, Love is Strange? Dude, it's the song in Dirty Dancing where they're practicing. Swayze's on the ground and he says, Sylvia? Oh, yeah. Yo, lover boy. Uh, and she says, lover boy. Yeah. That is that freaking song. That's this is that woman. That's Sylvia. <laughs> Yeah, no, man. And that, I mean, it's a, it's a soundtrack classic. It's in Casino. It's in several other movies. Right. And like, it's a legit banger. It's, I mean, yeah. for 1957, oh, and also it's sexy as hell. Like, yeah. she's got it going on. All right. <laughs> and then she follows that up, little break, 1973 with oh. Pillow Talk, which, by the way, I recommend you find the Soul Train performance of Pillow Talk. Oh, it's man. Hilarious. I, I love the research Ben Barton is doing. You got By the law time we get to the late in. 70s, sadly, her career is waning again. So she goes into Manhattan and she goes to one of these parties. All right. And the way these parties work is they have the DJ and the DJ is spinning the records, but then they have an MC. And the MC is originally there to sort of announce the DJ and hype the crowd. But by the time you get to the late 70s, the MC is now the star and the MC is actually rapping. So she goes to this club, she hears it. She's like, wow, that's amazing. 
I'm going to record that and I'm going to make back. So she goes up to the MC and it's actually funny on the historical record. It's not clear who this person is. There's a bunch of different versions of it. She goes up to this person. She's like, that was amazing. I have a record studio and a record uh, label, which is kind of sort of maybe true. Uh, I want to record you. <laughs> the guy who's doing it, the DJ, uh, the MC says, no, this is a live thing. It's only done live. Recording it would ruin it. But basically, I'm an artist not interested. Who's that? It's unclear who that is. It's like, oh. there's a guy, like, it's like Love Bug, or there's Herc, uh, or there's uh, Grandmaster Kaz. It's not clear who that person is, but okay. they tell her no. Okay. So she goes back and she's got a son who's in high school. She lives in Inglewood, New Jersey, by the way. This is not in Manhattan or in the Bronx where this scene is actually happening. Okay. So she asks her son, hey, do you know anything about this uh, rapping? Like, do you know anybody who does this? And he's like, yeah, mom, there's a guy at the pizza parlor down the street from us. <laughs> he does this all the time. So they get in her car, they drive to the pizza parlor, and this is where Big Bank Hank is actually working as a pizza guy. She drags his ass out of the pizza parlor and it's like, my son here says you can rap. He starts rapping. She's like, you're great, that'll do. Wow. He hauls in two other dudes that he just randomly knows and that's it, that's the Sugar Hill guy. They the pizza guy and two friends. Go, they go, and, and, by, and like none of them are the original guys. Like all of the people who were started this and were into it, eventually some of them did well, like Mel Mel and Grandmaster Flash, but a bunch of people got left behind. And these random dudes from Inglewood, New Jersey, get it instead. They oh, haul him into the studio. She gets a live band. And note uh, another thing. So there's several things about hip hop. The first thing is you use a sample, right? Yeah. So she gets a live band and they play 16 bars from Sheik's Good Times. That doop, doop, doop. That bass line is from another hit song. She gets a live band and they play it live for 14 minutes. <laughs> The entire thing is apparently, this may be legend, one take. No. One take, 14 minutes. Does the band uh, know when they're going to stop? The rappers just kind of They go in and out. They're going. just pointing to each other. Apparently, Sylvia Robinson's the person who's playing the Mellotron that makes that whoosh noise. Like, uh, she's no actually way. playing with the band? Yeah, totally. Oh, that's so um, They lay it all down. And like, like everything about it. Oh, and also like Big Bang Hank has actually stolen a bunch of the lyrics from another guy. I'll say oh. allegedly, but he's stolen the lyrics from another guy. <laughs> uh. And so it like, it starts by stealing music. It starts by stealing lyrics. And it's hilarious. Big Bang Hank who's probably the best rapper. Like those, those verses are fantastic. It's yeah. just packed with lies. He's like, oh, I'm a rich, super good looking guy with a bunch of cars and a color TV to watch the Knicks on. And in fact, he's a fat guy who works in a pizza parlor. Like, it's just <laughs> the greatest. Uh, yeah, so this is it, man. It launches that it. That is great. Um, it becomes the biggest, you know, rap hit starts the entire thing. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's just awesome. Everything about it, it's like, it's, it's uh, not only they invent the genre, but they invent the posturing and they invent the self-mythology and they- Oh, totally. But also like, it's a culture, it's a hustle culture before it becomes a hustle culture, right? I mean, that's just, you can't, it's just such a sweet piece of American history. Yeah, and it's also, it's like, uh, well, so it was really memorizable. It was yeah. really easy, even for nine-year-old white kids to, to sort of rap along with. Um, and the lyrics are freaking great. They're hilarious. Yeah. Like, so, oh, it also creates the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, which was not. That was Sylvia Robinson's addition to this. Like the original huh. MCs would just come up and roll, right? So she yeah. adds the hotel, motel, and then there's the bridge that doo-doo. 
She just like mixes all of these different things in. Um, and they start this tradition of telling the long, hilarious stories. Like there's a two minute story about going to your can't. friend's house and not liking the food. It's bad food. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. It was unbelievable. They pile some more on your plate. You yeah, gotta totally. go home and find relief from a bottle of K.O. Peptate. I still <laughs> yeah. remember that. I'm so oh, good. dude, it's so good. Oh, and the, the end of that story is a few weeks later, he calls yeah. up his buddy, and his buddy says, "I understand about the friend, the food, baby Bubba, but we're still friends." And that line, "The baby Bubba, we're still friends," is an actual family tradition now. At the end of an argument with the girls, I'll be like, "But baby Bubba, but we're still friends." <laughs> now, do they find that antagonistic? Or do they no, like they think that? it's super hilarious oh, okay. and they, amusing. They get it. They're with you. All right. Baby Bubba, but we're still friends. That's, the, that's the next T-shirt. I mean, that's great. Yeah, I remember, that's right. So Rapper's Delight's the first song like that for me where I absolutely fell in love with everything about the song. And um, Q107 was the radio station from Washington, D.C., which you could get in the suburbs at night when radio came in better at night and I had a little tiny clock radio with one speaker and I was in trouble if I was listening to music at night. So I had to turn it on like one tenth of one and then press my ear up to the plastic clock radio. So I'd have the lines, like the lines on my face and we play the top 10 songs at 10 o'clock and rap the 14 minute version of Rapper's Delight was always number one all summer, every night. You had to sit through, yeah. you know, What a Fool Believes and all those other songs, which I came to <laughs> totally love. But then you would get the full four. And I had him at, like Ben said, I had him memorized. I never owned it. I still don't. I mean, I don't think I ever owned it on vinyl. I'm so shocked the, uh, the radio station would play all 14 minutes. Well, they had to wait till 11 o'clock at night. Oh, and also, right? dude, like the story of how she got on the radio was great. Like she went to all the New York radio stations and they were like, ha, 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 you must have lost your mind. That's, <laughs> you stole that Chic song and it's 14 minutes long. And I can't remember, I think it's St. Louis. She, ma- she like mailed it out all over the country and some dude in the middle of the country was like, yeah, that's pretty good and put it on. And then oh. people called up the radio station were like, what was that? Play that again. And then it was number one in that market and then number one in the next market and then it just spread everywhere. Yeah, like, amazing. They, they didn't keep that terrible record keeping on this. And so it's barely a top 40 hit in the oh. US, but that's um, just because they could, didn't measure sales the way these sales were happening, like out of the okay. trunk of a car and being played late at night. Like, yeah. right. It was a massive hit for the time. No oh, question. That's fascinating. Good stuff. All right, Jeff Simons. What are you bringing uh, to the table in 19? So yeah, I can't. Re- I can't really top that. But um, so hip hop's the first is the thing that's exploding. The the art form that's maturing in 1979 is punk rock. So punk rock is kind of blown up from 75 and 76. And meanwhile, starts, disco's yeah. dying. Yeah, disco's disco on its way out. Disco's on its way out. I mean, like, what's great about what's amazing about Rapper's Delight is it takes all the great stuff from Sheik's Good Time and eliminates the stuff that has become annoying. The big strings, uh-huh. the huge choruses, the like symphonic approach. Like, it just strips it back to basic. It's almost like hip hop catches up with punk rock's aesthetic of keep it really simple, keep a lot of open space, keep it really energetic. So punk rock, 75, 76, by 1979, most of the, the three chord screaming bands have burned themselves out. The only bands that are left are the bands that have bothered to learn how to play. And the best of the best without question is uh, The Clash. And The Clash in 1979 um, released a double album called London Calling. And, yeah. um, and it, I didn't hear it in 1979, right? I'm in in Annapolis, Maryland, I'm in the suburbs. Like, it's kind of amazing that I was lucky enough to live near enough to DC that I could catch the first wave of hip hop. But like, 
it's a sleepy little southern town in 1979. And uh, I don't, the clash don't get to me for another year or so when a 12th grader at my K through 12 school has got an import copy of a clash record and uh, is playing it in the parking lot. And I, you know, walk by and I'm like, I but walk up to this 12th grade, I'm like, what <laughs> is that? Right. So I end up getting Lennon Calling and, um, the first band I really fell in love with was the Beatles, but the band that that uh, changed everything for me and made me want to learn how to be a musician and, and started a lifelong obsession was The Clash. And their nickname was, in 1979 or 80 was The Only Band That Matters, which is pretty audacious. Huh, that's great. Um, but they, were, they could sort of back it up that year. So London Calling is a double album. It's 65 minutes. It's 18 songs. They were recording so fast that the single off that record, which is Train in Vain, uh-huh. which is the song most people know, is actually not even on the back of the album jacket. Like it was done and printed and headed to the shops when they called the record company and said, wait, 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 we wrote the single. So it's on the record as a, as a hidden bonus track at the end. It's just packed wow. to the gills. And uh, I just loved it. I, play, I obsessed over it. I played it a million times. And the, my favorite song by far is from side two. And it's kind of Clash 101. It's angry, it's political. Um, it's loud without being tuneless. It's an incredible sing-along, and it's a song called Working for the Clampdown, and here it is. Clampdown by The Clash. that's the things change for the clash when they I fire their the original drummer doesn't want to tour so he doesn't get fired he quits um and they hire a jazz drummer named topper heaton to be the drummer for the clash uh-huh. and so they're the first punk band with a with a drummer who can play in multiple styles and he's a topper was a really gifted musician he's the piano player on rock the casbah which is a pretty fancy wow. show off piano part um so once you have a guy whose groove is totally reliable like that and he can swing and he can play hard he can play soft it allowed them to become a, a, a songs band rather than just a energy band and uh and they're lucky just to have two guys who have that classic lennon mccartney jagger richards best friends who are also super competitive thing in mick jones and joe strummer just trying to outright each other i mean working with the clampdown has I mean, sorry, London Calling has the title track. It has that song. It has Lost in the Supermarket. It has Rudy Can't Fail. It has Lost Hateful. Oh. It has Spanish Bombs, Jimmy Jazz, Train in Vain. I mean, it's... Oh, and my favorite is Guns of Brixton. That's my actual Guns of Brixton, which is, yeah. A, yeah. Which is the bass player. So, I mean, it, it's a great record. But the song you just played, The Clampdown, that doesn't sound... It starts off first, what, 40 seconds. doesn't sound like punk at all. Yeah, I mean, punk had become, but they very quickly realized that like the the aesthetic of punk of three chords in a cloud of dust 
you're going to be like, you, you can probably write 50 songs like that. Or if you're the knack, you can write one like that. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> yeah. But you're going to run out of, you're just going to run out of sonic space. And, uh, and the second Clash record is a great example of that. They go in with Blue Oyster Cult's producer and make a punk record. And it's, it's good, but it's really like, you, I mean, I love the Clash. I get to the end of Give Them Enough Rope and I'm like, eh, I'm a little bored of the sound of this because same thing every time. Whereas London Calling is like this, let's just pick, let's just reach into a barrel of music and throw it. It's got reggae, it's got ska, it's got dub, huh. it's got, and once they realized that punk could be a, a, a state of mind, like just a general kind of like this kind of FU approach to the status quo, but it could sound like a lot of different things. That's when that band hit the, hit yeah. the stride, you know? Really? So I love this selection. Some years are an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. My, for 79, right. I have the song that I chose in a parenthesis, I have CF London Calling because like that is like another record that was like when right. I went through the list, I really, really badly wanted to put one of these songs on the list. Yeah. Um, I have a funny, similar story to it. Uh, I didn't hear it in 79 either. It's maybe, it's either summer 80 or summer 81. Buddy of mine goes and bikes across England with his dad and his brother. And then he huh. comes back and he's got a bunch of egg yolks in his hair and he's got a mohawk and i'm like what, what? is happening here awesome. and he's like have i got something that this is chris della murder he says have i got something to play for you and he puts <laughs> the needle on and it's just like da, 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 da. those first chords of london calling and i was like <gasps> like you just like gasp i'm like what in the, what is that and it just wow. blew my mind and um if I, I mean, I, Clampdown's great, but, but I would choose London Calling and actually uh, having played the, like having tried to introduce younger people to it, London uh -huh. Calling, that song is the song that people get right away. Like yeah. that is just pulls you right in, explains the whole thing. And the phony Beatlemania is bitten to dust. Just uh, explains yeah. what they're about. Yeah, Let's, I could, I mean, it's a coin flip for me. I think I picked Clampdown this because, I mean, I, that, there was something about that song when I first fell in love with that record. Like the, my high school band almost changed its name to Clampdown because nice. of the song Clampdown. Nice, great name. Yeah, well, of course, oh. you, like, uh, the best song we did was Clampdown, so you can't really call your band <laughs> the name of the cover that you do. Hey, Living in a Box did, so. Yeah, that's true. That's and true. Uh, it, So w when we're done with this podcast, the 50 episodes that we've committed to, we should then do... Um, a podcast series of songs that I can't believe we didn't pick. Oh, that's oh, great. I, yeah, totally. you know, that's like, such a great idea. Because I've already so got hard. a list. Yeah, I've yeah. got a list yeah. of ones that I feel bad about already, and we're only like, 10 years in. So. Yeah, Sophie's Choice. All right, let's go. <laughs> uh, I mean, golly, the beginning of rap. Sophie's the, uh, Choice. The maturation of punk. How could anyone uh, top either of those choices? But you know what? I've done it because... I've got Van Morrison on my side and Van Morrison is into the music in 1979 as he continues to explore um, music and fall in love with music all over again. He sings an incredibly <laughs> long song. <laughs> an incredibly long song. I think it's eight and a half minutes. Jeff, is that it? Eight and change. Uh, I'm looking at it. Change, but uh, but boy, during the Corona times, I love how this song opens, and what he's saying, uh, and the healing has begun. And the healing has begun by Van Morrison. 
All right. Van, the man cannot wait for the healing to begin. As a matter of fact, we're in a weird time because it seems like Corona numbers are just skyrocketing. Uh, and, and here the three of us are wondering when we're, when are we going to see our students again? Are, are we going to be teaching this fall? Will our children be going back to school? All of these questions. And I cannot wait till we get on the other side of this thing and, and the healing has begun. So, so I this love this. Is, uh, Go ahead. Oh, no, 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 that's it. I thought you were done. I, I, this is a sneaky pick because you're being very, uh, honest and moving and empathic and, uh, this is you've prevented us from making fun of you but this is the second van morrison correct that is correct yeah so um that so means by the he, way i can't take it i'm going to make fun of this for sure <laughs> um <laughs> but this is that means van's out right van is out so this we're not going to get we're not going to get the 17 minutes summertime in england <laughs> from next year's common one and you're not going to pick either dweller on the threshold or cleaning windows oh right? shoot i love dweller on the threshold right Darn i'm just it. making sure that um that uh, I stick being, to this? Well, I'm just being, uh, you know, I want to be nice, but like, that's a tough sell. Like he, that, that violin that farts that off note. Did you say farts seconds, that off note? Then he goes, bah, 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 bah. there's such a hilarious mistake <laughs> at, the, at the top of that track. Like we've now, I've now heard that. I mean, I, I, yeah. disclosure, I have this song. Like, of I'm course. Not, oh, I don't have this name. song. <laughs> this is well past when I stopped paying attention to Van Morrison. So, I know, sure. I know. And so rightfully so. Rightfully I, partly, so. I partly have this song because of Tim. But there's Thank a you. in the violin at the beginning before he's, when he's still going like, ah, <laughs> like working himself The man up. has to get warmed what, up. Those noises. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> is he singing on the toilet? Is he squeezing one out? What is happening? <laughs> But anyway, I love that you found a way to be, um, you found a way to be meaningful in this podcast yet again, Tim, while, while uh, Ben, ben yeah, and I just well, go for cheap laughs. Well, I know, time. I know that uh, the violin is offensive to Ben. In, any no, kind no, of no, no, the violin's song. fine. It's the sheer laziness. That's <laughs> it's a lazy three chord song with a lazy violin bit over it. And the lyrics are literally like, I'm walking along. That's what I do. I walk sometimes. No, you may remember. You may remember at the end, in the sixth or seventh minute, he begins to woo a woman with a bottle of Oh, good news. Wait, hold on. If I hang in there for six minutes, something happens. I'm very excited. That's good. He's building up to the healing. You can't just have healing First of all, the thing that I love about this is that I looked it up on Wikipedia, and this is, in fact, a favorite van morrison track for the van morrison heads this is a big one are you ready That's what biographer I'm about. biographer brian hinton calls this song the central song in the album and perhaps oh. in van morrison's entire career hey now it's Lord. a song full of blazing sex as well okay. as revelation Which the tim healing called, here by the way is, <laughs> tim called wooing just 30 seconds ago <laughs> the healing here is like that an arthurian myth the wounded king restored okay. through the right. action of the holy grail okay. but it is also through as graphic a seduction almost as the original live version of gloria wait is this so guy I'm glad on my it was side written by the biographer and not you tim that, i'm worried that you're yeah. like writing this stuff on the wikipedia page <laughs> they they can't keep up with me <laughs> They need oh to have God. someone take it down. Arthurian myth. That's so good. Yeah, we'll and say by this. the way, I think that that's a really very fair description of it. I think he's really <laughs> captured it. That's that's what it's about. Camelot. Uh, that's the problem is Van Morrison. Like you, 
you are not an obnoxious Van Morrison fan, Tim, but Van Morrison's got this like deeply strange cult that rides for him like that few artists have. And they yeah, like I mean, think every little click and pop that guy did was coming from is celestial in nature. And I, I just, he falls off a cliff for me in 1973. And there's one or two good ones, but I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at my Van Morrison collection chronologically, and there's there's fewer than 15 songs after 1974. No, and dude, it's also it's like the thing where um, the Van Morrison people hate Bob Dylan, and they're even angrier what? about it because they're like, no, no, they're like the real poet, the actual bard. Why, I don't know why people are confused and think that it's Dylan. <laughs> like, if you're a Van Morrison head of the level where you're calling it Arthurian, that's the type of person you are. You're like, okay. I've adopted this guy, and it's him or nothing. Well, I remember taking uh, this this young woman. I was head over heels, uh, Gaga over in college, and she's like, "Do you like Van Morrison?" And I'm like, "Yeah, brown eyed girl, great." You know, like I had no idea the the level of of intensity Van Morrison fans had. And we went to the Van Morrison concert together. I got tickets, you know, because he only goes to like was it Boston, Toronto, and San Francisco. That's, that's, that's where he tours. I secured tickets. I surprised her. Um, and uh, she was the one who would stand up and dance as everyone else sat. And so then I was in the awkward position of like, oh, do I, do I join her? It's, never. You never join her. No, stand. I disagree. I'm strong disagreement. Strong disagreement. It was a you hard get up call. And you take it on the chin. If you're but, not going to stand and dance with your college girlfriend, I who's an know. annoying well, dancer. She wasn't my girlfriend. This is our first date. This is our you, first date. Listen, your options include yeah. breaking up right then. Like if you sit on yep. your ass, you're like, well, this relationship is doomed. You've no. got to get up. You've got to commit. Up. I got up and I danced, but I didn't know. I knew it. I knew it. I didn't know the words. I didn't know the tunes. She starts doing these hand gestures during cleaning windows. I had no idea what was going on. Are you telling me she acted out cleaning windows? Was she like cleaning windows with her hands during cleaning windows? Did you break up? You actually leave her in the concert hall (laughs) at that exact moment. No, no, Jeff, you've got it backwards, man. Now I actually like this selection by you, Tim. (laughs) No, seriously, this is making a lot more sense now. If I had had sex to that crappy song in 1987, (laughs) I would like that crappy song. I would be like, you know who's got it going on is Van Morrison with that amazing song I had sex with with my first girlfriend. (laughs) That was a good time. To be clear, because you never know who's listening. Uh, it, it ended uh, outside the Orpheum uh, when we said goodnight. So that that was it. He was, oh, he was, he was, I know. I know. He was wooing her, Tim. You forgot the word. I like my version better. I, yeah, I, 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 I much I prefer your too. version. I much prefer that it, it's on in the balcony of the Orpheum. Oh, co- come on. Now. But, uh, All right. <laughs> this, now I got to put the explicit tag on our podcast. It's the pop-in. And so we don't often do this, but every once in a while, we're going to have guests. Uh, just pop in, say hello, tell us uh, some musical stories. And today, my little sister, actress, writer, producer, Teresa Plain is here with us. Woohoo! Yeah! Welcome. Welcome, my friend. Hi. Hi. How are you, Tim? So, so I'm really excited. This is 1979. And the reason why Teresa Plain has been invited, Teresa Plain, what happened in 1979? I was born December 19th, 1979. Oh. 12 days of 1979. 
under me right. in my house. Yes. It was a, an incredibly happy day for so many people. Uh, not for me. Um, <laughs> I was the baby of the family for 10 years. I knew my place. I knew my position. And I was unseated. <laughs> oh, but you were such a good big brother. I never knew you were upset no, until a, right now. It actually reminds me that in 1979, China instituted what, Ben Barton? Uh, one child rule. The one child rule back in 1979. By the um, way, that's not okay. Your sister's <laughs> on the line. She's physically <laughs> listening. Right here. Okay. In the 90s, I had a poetry fellowship on Inish Moore. My little sister happened to be at UCG there in Galway. Um, and it was great. We got to go see a Counting Crows show together in Galway. What was really funny about it is that the next day, Timmy and my mom saw Adam Duritz and yeah. uh, David Emmergluck on the street. And my mom said, are you the band that had my kids up until late last night? <laughs> and then she said, I always, I always remember your name because my father used to sit and count all the crows. And then she started cawing like a crow to the counting crows. And Timmy was like, gotta go. <laughs> no, no, that was not the worst part of the conversation. <laughs> she, she kind of accused Adam Duritz of plagiarism. Uh, oh, that's right. Because she said, now this Mr. Jones, I've heard that song before. And Adam Duritz is like, well, no, I, I wrote that song. It's about a friend of mine. She's like, no, I, I think I've heard Mr. Jones before. That's an old song. And he's like, well, um, no, I, I wrote it, but you know, Bob, <laughs> Bob Dylan in Ballad of a Thin Man wrote, uh, you know, mentioned to Mr. Jones. And my mother goes like this, uh-huh. <laughs> 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 like, like my mother, the Dylan fanatic. Like, yeah, oh, oh God, so great. It's so great. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, this has been great. That was super fun, you guys. Thank you. That's for goodbye to the out. '70s. I don't even know what no. to do. We're we're now '80s children. I know this is our. We're we're about to hit what should be uh, our, our collective wheelhouse. This is going to be exciting. A lot of things are happening in the '80s to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe more. I <laughs> chuckle with a little worrisome. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. Me too. Good Lord, what's coming in 1983? <laughs> like, when you live in my basement next week, you'll find out. <laughs> that, is so, that was so ominous. That took a turn to Mystic River level. Scary. Let's not. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll All right, Tim. Well done, man. Meet right. Teresa. Good job. Thanks so much for listening to 50 Years of Music. Check us out on Twitter and give us some advice. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing 
where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.